It's good to see you this morning. Before we begin with the word, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, on this September 11th, we remember and we mourn about the terrorist attack and all those who lost their lives and many years later, those who are still rebuilding their lives and ask you to have mercy on them today and show them your grace. We continue to mourn for the suffering around the world since then. But Father, we particularly mourn for the violence and the killings in Chicago, which seem to be on repeat We ask for mercy and grace on families affected even this week and for the churches and the pastors as they minister to those who are suffering. Specifically, we want to pray for Pastor Corey Brooks of New Beginnings Church as he continues to take initiatives to broker peace in his neighborhood. We pray also for Reverend James Meeks at Salem Baptist Church and for their gospel-expanding work and how they love to preach the gospel and love to love their neighbors. And we pray also for Pastor Wayne Gordon of Lawndale Community Church and their role of continued mercy and grace in a a variety of forms in their neighborhood and community over the years. And Lord, as we're about to open your word this morning, we cannot hear without your enablement. By the power of your spirit, help us to not just understand what your word is saying, but to hear and obey by your grace and your mercy. We're asking that now. In Christ's name, amen. Next week, that's when people start to come back more and more. Uh, The students start to get established next week and then the next week after. Next week, we are finally starting the book of Revelation. We are going to focus on Jesus Christ, who is the conquering lamb. He came and is first time to die on the cross as a slaughtered lamb to conquer sin and and death and and Satan, and he rose again. And we're going to focus on his second coming as well as he comes back in judgment. But we have one more Sunday, and that's today before we hit Revelation. And I thought today we're going to, why not, make much of Jesus. We're going to make much of Jesus this whole year. Let's go ahead and start off making much of Jesus. And so this morning we're going to focus on the preeminence and supremacy of Christ. The preeminence and supremacy of Christ. When you think about preeminence, it means surpassing all others. Usain Bolt is the fastest man alive, and he surpasses all others. And even though Serena Williams lost this week in the U.S. Open, I still view her as the best women's tennis player ever, surpassing all others. So you got that idea of preeminence. Well, we're going to talk about Jesus as he surpasses all others as Lord of all. And one of the greatest passages in the Bible that lift up and highlight the supremacy of Jesus is found in the book of Colossians. If you want to go ahead and turn to the book of Colossians, uh, if you can't find it, look in the table of contents. I'll give you a moment. Look on your neighbor. Uh, If you can't find it, look at the person in front of you. Tell them to help you find Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. It's been called one of the high points focused on Jesus in the New Testament. Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to read the passage to you. Let's go ahead and stand as I read this. Colossians 1. We're going to go from verses 15 to 23. 
He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything, he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. You may be seated. As you may know, we're in that uh, time of the year where we have this run-up to the presidential election as the country tends to take the choice of the president uh, very serious. And the reason why many see it as serious is that the president of the United States not only impacts our country, but may, you may view it as having an impact on your personal life. But there are some rulers in some countries where it is more symbolic. Let's take England, for example, where Elizabeth is the queen, and her role is mainly honorary and symbolic as others carry out the country's responsibilities, which much more authority. Her ultimate say has very little sway on the daily life of the people. All right, switch with me here. Switch with me spiritually. Some of you have this relationship with Jesus, kind of like the Queen of England. You have a symbolic relationship with Jesus, an honorary title of sorts, where many of you would say that you were born a Christian, and you do not mean born again a Christian, you were simply born into the faith, and you will give Jesus some acknowledgement. Now, there are others in here who treat Jesus as kind of like the President of the United States. Jesus is your President. You will go to church. Uh, you might pray, but on a whole, Jesus does his thing, and occasionally he has some interaction in your life. But I would say most of you, unless I am just way off here, most of you do not view Jesus as a symbolic idea in your life. You do not treat him as your president. Most of you, I think, treat Jesus as Lord, Right? He has complete say, sway over your life. He is your ruler. He is your king. Whatever he says goes. Most of you view Jesus that way. He is absolute Lord. But I'm just wondering. I'm just wondering. Let's just be honest here. For those of you who call him Lord, and he has absolute sovereign say in your life, how many of you ever have those moments seasons where you have doubt that though he is Lord, you doubt as if he's going to be enough for your life. He is sovereign Lord, 
But maybe he's not enough to fulfill you. Maybe he's not enough to care for you. Maybe he's not enough to guide you. Let's put it this way. You acknowledge his supremacy, but you doubt his sufficiency. Anybody here? You acknowledge that he is supreme over your life, but you doubt his sufficiency. And I know that you think this way, because I think this way. Maybe you think there's maybe something else. There might be something else out there that can fulfill you. Or there's something else out there that can guide you. There's something else that can care for you. Perhaps there's something else that you've been missing that can come into your life to fulfill you. So Jesus, yes, you're supreme, but I don't know if you're sufficient. That's where we're at today in what the Apostle Paul says to the church in Colossus who was under the threat of this, I guess you could call it a for sure, heretical teaching that offered something more. They didn't throw out Jesus. They didn't throw him out completely. They kind of maybe stuck him out there in the periphery. But it seems that they were offering some alternative plan of spirituality. We don't know the details of this destructive heresy, but somehow they are diminishing and devaluing Jesus. They taught that he was not sufficient, that something else was needed. As I think about some of the alternative plans floating around that may be offered to you, some of you would say, yes, Jesus is my Lord, but I think I might need some specific rules that I need to keep to fulfill me even more, or I need some positive thinking, words of faith, I need to go have some certain experience that's going to give kind of this greater boost because Jesus is not enough. Maybe I need to turn to angels. I need to turn to saints of old for spiritual help. Or I need to to keep Jesus, but I need to branch out and explore this world and what it has to offer. There's got to be something else that is going to fulfill me. And Paul keeps pushing back and pushing back and pushing back. And he's basically saying, you know, since Christ is supreme and preeminent, he is sufficient. To put it this way, since Jesus is supreme, then he is sufficient. That's going to be his argument. Yes, Jesus is supreme, and therefore he is sufficient. Sufficient to fulfill you, to save you, to grow you, to guide you, to love you, to rule over you to care for you, to give you hope. Since Jesus is supreme, then he is sufficient. I'm going to try to bring that bearing upon you this morning because most people would say Jesus is Lord. But we want to say he is supreme Lord and also sufficient for my life. So as we look in this passage today, we got it before us. Uh, Many uh, see this as an early Christian hymn among the New Testament church, lifting up the supremacy of Christ. One of my favorite scholars, Douglas Moo, kind of breaks it down a little bit. He says it's the, we see the supremacy of Christ in creation and the supremacy of Christ in the new creation. Christ is not only the creator, but he's the one that gives the new creation of the church. So I'm going to kind of give you this little guideline if you want to follow this this morning. We have the supremacy of Christ in creation, supremacy of Christ in the new creation, and then the supremacy of Christ demands a firm faith. Now, I hope you don't get bored this morning, 
because we're not going to talk about you uh, too much, but just a little bit. We're mainly going to focus on Jesus Christ because we're trying to make much of Jesus. In order to make much of Jesus, we got to talk about Jesus, and we have to know what he is like. So if you ever said to me, tell me about Jesus, I'm about to do that from the Word. So let's go ahead and do that. Colossians 1, starting at verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. It's talking about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God in that he is the full representation, revelation, manifestation of God. Let me give you another verse, uh, Hebrews chapter 1. Maybe you know this one, Hebrews 1, 3. It says, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. So that word imprint, that imprint language sounds like the imprinting of a coin, let's say with the face uh, of a leader like Caesar. And in this case, Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature because Jesus is God. Some other verses, uh, let's say John chapter 14, verse 9, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. It's a clear statement of Jesus' deity. He is God, one God, three persons, and Jesus is fully God. He is the image of the invisible God. Keep going. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. When you hear this firstborn language, you, you think naturally about the firstborn child, and, and that is used many times in the Bible. But in the Hebrew culture, the firstborn also refer to this concept, okay, stick with me, this concept of rank or privilege. And this rank of privilege could go to a descendant regardless of the birth order. Isaac was not born first. Jacob was not born first. And yet they both got the blessing and the inheritance. So this reference to Jesus here as firstborn is not talking about Jesus' birth order. It's not saying Jesus is the first one created, which is, an, which is a heresy called Arianism. It's not saying that Jesus is a created being, rather that Jesus has existed for eternal. The Son of God has existed for eternity and, and is the creator. And the firstborn here is a reference to his rank, his rights, his privilege. So we are saying that Jesus is supreme and preeminent, exalted son of all creation. And he has the rights and the privilege and the rank and the rule and authority over all creation. So far, Jesus is God. So far, he's over all. But he also created all. Look at verse 16. Like I said, we're talking about Jesus a lot. We're making much of Jesus. Verse 16. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things were created through him and for him. Who created the world? Jesus did. God, through Jesus Christ, created the world. For by him all things were created, and all things were created through him. He created all things in heaven and on earth. Jesus created those things that are seen, which are visible, right? And he created the unseen, which are the invisible. He created angels. And the angels are, may have this ranking of thrones or dominions or ruler of authority. This may be a reference to fallen angels who are demons who attempt to utilize ruling power. So whether angels or demons, Christ is over all. And if you notice, the goal of creation is Jesus Christ. For it says, all things were created through him 
and for him. Jesus is the focus. He is the ultimate goal. Keep going. Verse 17. And he is before all things. And in, thing, in him all things hold together. So not only is the Son of God eternally preexistent before all things, but he holds all things intact. If Christ were not holding you together right now, I guess you would dissolve or disintegrate into nothingness. I know you grew up in church and we're thinking, this is no big deal. But this is an astounding claim that some guy named Jesus who walked the earth not many years, not many years before Paul, were saying that that guy is the one who created everything, who is preeminent above all, and that he is supreme Lord over creation. I need to pull back for a moment because I don't think you're getting this. The fact that Jesus created all and sustains all as a supreme Lord proves that he is sufficient for your life. It is insane to think that Jesus created all, sustains all, but he cannot deal with whatever problem you're facing. Is that not insane to think? That creator Jesus, sustaining Jesus, Lord of all, reigning, can't handle what you're dealing with. That is absolutely insane. And it just doesn't have to be a big problem. We are saying that Jesus can even handle the the little problems because they're all little to him, right? Even in your daily life. Last weekend was a three-day weekend. Most of you were happy. Most of you were rejoicing. I just want to be honest with you. I was dreading the three-day weekend. I have six kids. I love my kids, but I was dreading spending the weekend with one particular child who will not be named. (laughs) So I'm I'm like, all right, Lord, help me. We can do this. We can do a three-day weekend. All right, we can handle it. Friday afternoon, get ready for the weekend. I got sick, Uh, but not sick enough to be out of commission, all right? You know, you're like, you ain't that sick, uh, you know. So I'm still in commission with the kid. And then in the middle of the weekend, to top off the great weekend, uh, two of our kids uh, get lice. Or, or as my six-year-old called it, rabies. <laughs> now, I know some of your parents right now are wondering, okay, where are my kids right now, right? Because you're wondering if you're... <laughs> Calm down, all right? My kids probably got it from one of your kids, all right? So. <laughs> but, but I got to be reminded, okay, can Jesus handle this? Is he going to be a, enough for me to make it through this weekend? And it's insane to think that he's the creator and he's the ruler and he's reigning and he's over me, he's over my kids, that he can't handle me making it through a weekend with me? Since he is supreme, he is sufficient. And not only is he supreme over the creation, but this is really, this is, this is some of the best part. Now we're going to see that he is supreme over the new creation, the church. Look at verse 18. And he is the head of the church, as head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything, here it is again, he might be preeminent. <laughs> That's good. So the church is called the body of Christ with Jesus Christ as the head. So if he's the head, he's the one with the authority. He's the one that rules over us, loves us, nurtures us, leads us. 
in addition to being head over the church, it says that he is the beginning. Now, remember, we saw he's the initiator of the creation. Well, here we're saying that he is the initiator and the beginning of the church. We are not here this morning because we thought it'd be a good idea to create a church. Jesus Christ created the church. This is his idea. This is his creation. It also says he is the firstborn from the dead. As we heard last week from uh, Andy Hudson talking about the resurrection. He rose first with a glorious resurrection body, never to die again, paving the way as the forerunner for all of us in the new creation to rise one day. So he is the head, the initiator, the firstborn from the dead. He is the goal. And you can underline on your Bible as it says, that in everything he might be preeminent. Isn't that good? Supreme Lord over the church. Verse 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In the Old Testament, you have the the temple filled with the glory of God. But now Christ is the glory and fullness of God. There's nothing lacking. Jesus is fully God in all of his attributes and fully sufficient to meet your needs. And then the part that includes you. Verse 20. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus died on the cross, taking the Father's wrath in your place to bring you into a relationship with the Father through faith. His blood was shed so that you could have your sins forgiven, clothed in the righteousness of Christ, reconciled to the Father. And it's, and it's not just a, a bonus afterthought, but guess what? You're going to live forever in the new creation, the new heavens, and the new earth, which are coming in Christ and through his death and res- resurrection. You have been reconciled to the Father. And I would say the fact that Jesus is supreme over the church demonstrates that he is sufficient for your life. Not only did he create you, he saved you. And he's ruling over you right now, and he cares for you. And I know you know that theologically, but sometimes you have a hard time grasping that, especially especially when life does not go as planned. And I know some of you, Life is not going as you planned it. You had a thought, you had a dream, you had a vision, you had a plan, and it's not working the way you want it to. And sometimes you don't even want to admit that. You don't even want to say, you know what? This is not what I planned for my life. I didn't plan to be right here. I didn't plan to do this. I had another plan and it didn't work out and I don't know what I'm doing now. And and maybe you're thinking that Jesus doesn't know what he's doing with, with your life. But he's still sovereign, not over the world, but in your life. And he still cares for you and he still loves you. And he's not just saving you. And you say, Jesus, you're just messing with me. Why are you messing? He's not messing with you. He loves you. He has a plan. I know this is not in your plan, but he still has you. He still cares for you. It's not like he saves you. He's I saved you. Now go do what you want to do and you're off on your own. No, he's still over you, caring for you, nurturing you, fulfilling you, guiding you, loving you. Since he is supreme, he is sufficient. 
Well, now the faith part. Now the faith part. Our response to this great, great word. Here's the faith part, all right? Verse 21. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Paul takes the Colossians back to their previous life before Christ. You see it there? It says they were alienated. They were hostile in mind against God. Their expression of their hostility was expressed in evil deeds. But when they were sinners, Christ died for the ungodly and paid the penalty for their evil deeds. It says that he took these hostile sinners and reconciled them in his body of flesh by his death. And his purpose was to take on the evil of sinners on the cross and exchange them and clothe them in their perfect righteousness. <laughs> when I read this, alienated, hostile of mine, evil deeds, I think, man, that is such a great description of my life before Christ. I, I just think before I, before I know Jesus, I, I was... I was I was stealing stuff. I, I mean, I'm not kidding. Every other word, I was cussing. I, I used to play tennis in high school and in college, and I used to throw my racket and cuss and scream and throw a fit. I was, and, 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 and to top it off, extremely sexually immoral. And I see these descriptors, alienated from God, hostile in mind, evil deeds. And yet at 19, God intervened and said, I'm going to save him. I'm going to intervene in his life and bring him to myself through Jesus. And for those of you who know him, you might not have some drastic conversion story, but all conversion stories are drastic because why should God save any of us? Because we were all alienated, hostile in mind, filled with evil deeds. And Jesus intervenes and he saves us. And now look, look what it says about us next. It says, holy, now that we're holy, right? We're holy. We're blameless. We're above reproach before him. Those, those are good, good words. I, I remember being in, in seminary, and, and I, in seminary at times, things would get hard, just like in life, things get hard. And I used to, to think, God, are, are you against me? And am I doing something so sinful and wrong that I feel so miserable and I feel detached from you. I feel, anybody ever feel, even as a believer, like sometimes like you feel condemned by God? And I remember feeling that in seminary. I'm studying the Bible all day, but I remember feeling so condemned at times. And I would get home and I would go to this chair and I would stick my Bible on it, open to this passage. I would get down on my knees and I would just look at these words and I would pray them to God. I'd tell myself, look, these words say that now in Christ, I am holy. I am blameless and I'm above reproach before him. That is good. If any of you are having any issues right now, feeling condemned, feel like God's against you, open it up, look at these words. These are descriptors of what God has done for you in Christ. Before the Father, he views you in Christ as holy, blameless, and above reproach before him. That is good. That is encouraging. But it also demands an enduring faith. We've got to keep on believing, right? Look at verse 23. If, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation, under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. 
Paul really doesn't want them to shift away from Jesus on some other plan of fulfillment. The supremacy of Christ demands a firm faith. This is the gospel that has gone out to all creation. This is the gospel that Paul proclaimed. This is the hope of the gospel that the Colossians had embraced, and you have embraced it as well. The reality of forgiveness of sins and eternal life is yours. But look at verse 23 again. Circle it. If. If. If you continue in your faith. If you do not bail, turn your back on Jesus and run off and to some other way, some other direction. You must press on in the faith. The Bible assures us that if God has started a good work in you, he will finish it. But believers are also called to press on in the faith and keep going. I would say this. All true believers, if they are truly believers, they will continue in the faith. But I would also say that only those who continue in the faith are true believers. And only those will be saved. And he's really pressing, don't go to other gospels. Be stable in the Jesus you have believed. Be steadfast in Christ. Don't shift to something else. For those of you who are considering bailing on Christ, dabbling in some other thing, thinking maybe it's Jesus plus rituals, it's not. It's Jesus only. Some of you think it's Jesus plus certain experience, it's not. It's Jesus only. Some of you think it's Jesus plus good works. It's not. It's Jesus only. Maybe it's like some special ritualistic prayer. No, it is Jesus only. It is not Jesus plus something else that's going to be sufficient for you. It is Jesus and Jesus Christ alone. Not only is he supreme, but he is also sufficient. And I really want to continue to press that to you. I want to press it to me. If we're claiming him to be Lord, we're saying you are supreme and you are sufficient. My wife and I had a chance yesterday to go to the Northwestern football game. We had a good time there. And during one of the breaks in the action, I'm I'm sure some of you were at the game yesterday, during one of the breaks in the action, there was a chance, I'm just filling the rest of you in, there was a chance for this girl, right? You know the story, to, to kick a field goal and win $100,000. I was like, whoa, $100,000, that's a lot of money. She set up at the 25-yard line, and I was kind of weighing her chances. I was wondering if I could make it, 25-yard line, field goal. I was thinking, I don't know if she can make it or not. $100,000 is a lot of money. Just for a field goal, $100,000, college student, that's a lot of money. So she's lined up, and the guy holding the ball takes the ball, throws it all the way down the field. Like, what, what are you doing? Hold the ball so she can kick it. And then he throws it down the field, and then... He gets on his knee, and he asks her to marry him. Aww. She said, yes. She's crying. Everybody's clapping. I'm like, excuse me. What about the $100,000? Don't you want the money? (laughs) Right? She doesn't care. Doesn't matter to her. She gets the guy. You see what we're saying? We get Jesus. None of the periphery stuff. We don't know to go elsewhere. We get Christ. And yes, he is supreme. He's Lord. But he's also sufficient for whatever we're dealing with. He's sufficient to fulfill us, to care for us, to guide us. This past week, I had a chance to uh, speak to a counselor, and as I was talking to him, we were kind of comparing notes of like, what, what, what is it that Christians need? 
for those of you who have seen a counselor before, what, what, what is it? Like, are, are we trying to get them to view their circumstances differently? Are we trying to get them to rely on the Lord more? Are we trying to get them to change their circumstances or feel different? I mean, like, like what, what, are we, what are we doing? Like, what is, what is one of the most significant things that we can do to help people that we counsel? And one of the things we, we, we came to conclusion on that is one of the most helpful things as we're struggling is, is simply, it's, it's this. It's really, really, really difficult, but it's simple. Simply, we're trying to get Christians to be around other Christians and to talk to one another and to pray for one another and say, oh, you struggled with that too? Oh, Jesus has really helped you through that? Well, I'm kind of there now. That's what we need. We need other people. So theologically, you can say Jesus is supreme. Even emotionally right now, you can say, yeah, Jesus is sufficient. He's, yeah. But you will forget You'll forget. I forget. And so I need to be around other, other believers and say, what, what is that thing again? Oh, Jesus. Yes. And we need to encourage one another. And, and that's why we have these ethos communities. We're not just doing this because we're trying to run programs. We're doing this because we want you to grow. We want you to jump in and share with other people and have them share with you. And you pray and encourage each other. And, and even if you're a student, you go, I don't know. I don't know if I want to jump into that. I got plenty of students around me encouraging me at campus. And I'm going to say it. I say it every year. Our church can offer students something that, that you'll never get on campus. This is what we can offer you. We can offer you old people. You need old people. You need people who are older than you to encourage you in your walk with Jesus, and, and we need you as well. We need you as well. My brothers and sisters, since Jesus is supreme, he is sufficient to forgive you, to clothe you in righteousness, to bring you to heaven, sufficient to fulfill you, to guide you, to love you, and to give you joy. You need Christ and Christ alone. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word reminding us that we are saved in Christ. Thank you for loving us filling us and reigning over us. And I, I pray for that, that, that guy in here today who, who may just be doubting whether you're enough for him each day. The temptations and the struggles are too great. And I pray, pray the same for maybe that girl in here who feels the same way. Maybe just so much darkness in her life. Let them know they are loved by you. And Lord, may we continue to preach and teach and say and repeat this gospel to each other, this good news of your son saving us and reconciling us and not abandoning us, but continue with this ongoing relationship that fills us. And Lord, as we prepare our hearts, we move into this time of remembering your death and proclaiming it until you come again through this time of communion. Minister it to us now. Minister your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.